0: Chapter Two, Part Three, Book Two, of Confession of a Child of the Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confession of a Child of the Century. By Alfred de Musset. Translated by Kendall Warren. Book two, part three. Chapter two. A small wooden railing was placed around my father's grave. According to his expressed wish, he was buried in the village cemetery. Every day I visited his tomb and passed part of the day on a little bench in the interior of the vault. The rest of the time I lived alone in the house in which he died, and I kept with me only one servant. Whatever sorrows the passions may cause, the woes of life are not to be compared with those of death. My first thought, as I sat beside my father's bedside, was that I was a helpless child, knowing nothing, understanding nothing. I cannot say that my heart felt physical pain, but I sometimes bent over and wrung my hands, as one who wakens from a long sleep. During the first months of my life in the country, I had no thought of either the past or the future. It did not seem to be I who had lived up to that time. What I felt was not despair, and in no way resembled the terrible grief I had experienced in the past. There was a sort of Languor in every action, a sense of fatigue with all of life, a poignant bitterness that was eating out my heart. I held a book in my hand all day long, but I did not read, I did not even know what I dreamed about. I had no thoughts, within all was silence. I had received such a violent blow, and yet one that was so prolonged in its effect that I remained a purely passive being, and there seemed to be no reaction. My servant, Larive by name, had been much attached to my father. He was, after my father himself, probably the best man I have ever known. He was the same height, and wore the clothes my father had left him, having no livery. He was about the same age, that is, his hair was turning grey, and during the twenty years he had lived with my father, he had learned some of his ways. While I was pacing up and down the room after dinner, I heard him doing the same in the hall. Although the door was open, he did not enter, and not a word was spoken. But from time to time we would look at each other and weep. The entire evening would pass thus, and it would be late in the night before I would ask for a light, or get one myself. Everything about the house was left unchanged. Not a piece of paper was moved. The great leather arm-chair in which my father sat stood near the fire, his table and his books just as he left them. I respected even the dust on these articles, which in life he never liked to see disturbed the walls of that solitary house accustomed to silence and the most tranquil life seemed to look down on me in pity as i sat in my father's chair enveloped in his dressing-gown a feeble voice seemed to whisper where is the father it is plain to see that this is an orphan I received several letters from Paris, and replied to each that I desired to pass the summer alone in the country, as my father was accustomed to do. I began to realize that in all evil there is some good, and that sorrow, whatever else may be said of it, is a means of repose. Whatever the message brought by those who are sent by God, they always accomplish the happy result of awakening us from the sleep of the world, and when they speak, all are silent. Passing sorrows blaspheme, and accuse heaven. Great sorrows neither accuse nor blaspheme, they listen. In the morning I passed entire hours in the contemplation of nature. My windows overlooked a valley, in the midst of which arose the village steeple. All was plain and calm. Spring with its budding leaves and flowers did not produce on me the sinister effect of which the poets speak find in the contrasts of life the mockery of death i looked upon that frivolous idea if it was serious and not a simple antithesis made in pleasantry as the conceit of a heart that has known no real experience the gambler who leaves the table at break of day His eyes burning and hands empty, May feel that he is at war with nature, Like the torch at some hideous vigil. But what can the budding leaves say to a child Who mourns a lost father? The tears of his eyes are sisters of the rose, The leaves of the willow are themselves tears. It is when I look at the sky, the woods, and the prairies, that I understand men who seek consolation. Larive had no more desire to console me than to console himself. At the time of my father's death, he feared I would sell the property and take him to Paris. I did not know what he had learned of my past life, but I had noticed his anxiety, and when he saw me settle down in the old home, he gave me a glance that went to my heart. One day I had a large portrait of my father sent from Paris, and placed in the dining-room. When Larive entered the room to serve me, he saw it he hesitated looked at the portrait and then at me in his eyes there shone a melancholy joy that i could not fail to understand it seemed to say what happiness we are to suffer here in peace i gave him my hand which he covered with tears and kisses He looked upon my grief as the mistress of his own. When I visited my father's tomb in the morning, I found him there watering the flowers. When he saw me, he went away and returned home. He followed me in my rambles. When I was on my horse, I did not expect him to follow me, but when I saw him trudging down the valley. Wiping the sweat from his brow, I bought a small horse from a peasant and gave it to him. Thus we rode through the woods together. In the village were some people of our acquaintance, who frequently visited my father. My door was closed to them, although I regretted it, but I could not see anyone with patience sometime when sure to be free from interruption i hoped to examine my father's papers finally la rive brought them to me and untying the package with trembling hand spread them before me upon reading the first pages i felt in my heart that vivifying freshness that characterizes the air near a lake of cool water the sweet serenity of my father's soul exhaled as a perfume from the dusty leaves i was unfolding the journal of his life lay open before me i could count the diurnal throbbings of that noble heart I began to yield to the influence of a dream that was both sweet and profound. And in spite of the serious firmness of his character, I discovered an ineffable grace, the flower of kindness. While I read, the recollection of his death mingled with the narrative of his life i cannot tell with what sadness i followed that limpid stream until its waters mingled with those of the ocean O oh, just man i cried fearless and stainless what candour in thy experience thy devotion to thy friends thy admiration for nature Thy sublime love of God, this is thy life. There is no place in thy heart for anything else. The spotless snow on the mountain summit is not more pure than thy saintly old age. Thy white hair resembles it. O oh, Father, Father, give thy snowy locks to me they are younger than my blond head let me live and die as thou hast lived and died i wish to plant in the soil over your grave the green branch of my young life i will water it with my tears and the god of orphans will protect that sacred twig nourished by the grief of youth and the memory of age after having read these precious papers i classified them and arranged them in order i formed a resolution to write a journal myself i had one made just like that of my father and carefully searching out the minor details of his life i tried to conform my life to his thus whenever i heard the clock strike the hour tears came to my eyes this said i is what my father did at this hour and whether it was reading walking or eating I never failed to follow his example. Thus I accustomed myself to a calm and regular life. There was an indefinable charm about this orderly life that did me good. I went to bed with a sense of comfort and happiness, such as I had not known for a long time. My father spent much of his time about the garden. The rest of the day was devoted to walking and study, a nice adjustment of bodily and mental exercise. At the same time, I followed his example in doing little acts of benevolence among the unfortunate. I began to search for those who were in need of my assistance and there were many of them in the valley i soon became known among the poor my message to them was when the heart is good sorrow is sacred for the first time in my life i was happy god blessed my tears and sorrow taught me virtue End of chapter 2, part 3, book 2 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey